Good morning, everybody. We're so glad that you're here this morning. If you're uh, lingering in the courtyard, come on in so you can be a part of us from, a, from the very start. But we welcome you to McDonough Road Baptist Church in Fayetteville, Georgia, on this beautiful Sunday morning. Thank you for being here in, pre uh, in person. Thank you to those of you who are online for joining us this morning. Take a minute. If you're online, text somebody. Ask them to, uh, to, to join us right now and to be a part of this worship experience and not to, uh, not to wait another moment. If you'll reach out to somebody, make a telephone call, text, because we want them to be part of this. And our prayer is today that God will speak, that God will move, and that we'll be blessed greatly for being in His house with His people on His day. Uh, if you're a first-time guest with us, we, we especially welcome you and thank you for being with us. Uh, if you'll take a moment to take the card from the pew rack in front of you, that little connection card, fill it out completely, hand it to me at the back door, please, as you leave, or get it to one of our staff members, and uh, we'll look forward to, to seeing if you wrote a prayer request on the back. We'll look forward to trying to get your name and face together and uh, helping you any way that we can. And we're thankful that you are here, and we want to... Uh, uh, to be here for you and help you if there's a, a way that we can. So please do that for us. Fill it out right now as you uh, think about it. If you're online, you can go to our website at mcdonoughroadroad.org and uh, go to the Connect tab, fill out the information requested there, send it to us, and we'll look forward to following up and getting to know you a little bit, pray with you if we can, and, and uh, again, help any way that we can. Today we have a real treat. Rob Peters is with us this morning. Uh, Rob is our, uh, our equipper, leader, trainer during our refocus process. The churches that we were involved in as we went through the training, and then as we kicked off the strategy planning process, uh, we've been trying to schedule Rob in, in January of 2022 was the uh, first time we could get on his calendar. But uh, Rob, we, we welcome you and thank you for, for uh, being with us today. I know you want to be praying for him even right now. You've already been praying for him and open and listening. He was working in corporate America when God tapped him on the shoulder and uh, said, I want you in the ministry. And so he and his wife went to Southwestern Seminary to pursue their Master of Divinity. That's the same school that David Smith and I graduated from. Uh, he had a great experience out there. He uh, had the opportunity to serve as an associate pastor at First Baptist Church Dallas during that time. Came back to the Atlanta area, or came to the Atlanta area. He's actually a native of Virginia and uh, helped to replant a, uh, a church up in the northern suburbs of, of Atlanta. That was a great experience, and God used him and his wife, Wendy, there. While he was there, he pursued his Doctor of Ministry degree through Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. But they moved to Fort Lauderdale in the year 2000. Uh, they went to a declining church, a church that was running about 300. And God blessed in a great way and uh, used those guys to turn that declining church around uh, until it ran in the 3000s. Uh, and then they moved to North Carolina to serve as a pastor of a very strong church there, 6,000-member church with three campuses. And uh, he, uh, God used Rob to lead the church to redesign the vision, the strategy, the mission, uh, redirected the staff, reorganized, uh, repurposed, reorganized facilities, and uh, really repositioned the church for, uh, for, future, uh, for future growth. Well, as things have moved along, God has used Rob to, uh, has opened great doors for Rob to speak, not only nationally, but internationally. And Rob, uh, founding his, uh, his nonprofit in 2017 called Corpus, working with churches and uh, helping, uh, well, it's a, it's a ministry and mission organization that works with churches on five continents, 17 denominations, uh, working from, with churches from coast to coast, internationally. And, uh, and Rob's ministry is really having a kingdom impact. 
And so we, uh, we're thankful that, that we could come alongside and get affiliated with, uh, with Rob, and, and he's certainly having an impact on our church through Refocus. And Rob, again, welcome. Married to Wendy, three children, um, Anna Grace, age 20, uh, John, age 16, and Liam, age 10. So let's ask God's blessings on this worship service today. We're going to sing, we're going to worship, we're going to open our hearts, we're going to open our Bibles, we're going to listen to God, and Rob's going to come and, and preach in just a few moments. Father, thank you for each person here this morning. Lord, we're thankful to be in your house on, on this your day. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to sing praises to you, to sing songs about you, to, to, uh, to listen for your voice as you speak to us this morning through music, through message. Be with Rob, Lord, as he, as he preaches today. And thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to hear a word from you and to worship. Bless our time together, please. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, McDonough Road. It's so good to be with you today. I'm Rob Peters and uh, one of David's friends. I know you're surprised that David has a friend. No, I'm teasing you. Uh, David's got lots of friends and I'm proud to be among those. It's an honor to be with you, David, and worship with you and your church. And uh, I know so much about you from your team. I'm looking back and I think I see Robert and I see Debbie and I see Shaw and then Moses and I've become friends uh, since knowing Shaw and then Mike up there. And then, of course, Pastor David, our refocus team. And I've heard so much about you, and I've heard so many prayers asked on your behalf. And I've seen them think deeply and pray earnestly and uh, give consideration to where the future of McDonough Road needs to go. And it's really just my honor and privilege uh, to be with you today, to open God's Word and to talk with you as we begin a new year uh, about the purposes of God within His church. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, I still believe that God is wanting to do great things, amazing th things through the ministry of the church. Do you believe that? And I believe the day of church is looking different than it did maybe in the heyday of the 80s when I was coming along and trusting the Lord as my Savior. And there were lots of uh, large group programs and big celebrations and lots of popular movement within culture and society. And today we don't enjoy that sort of uh, cultural favor and that sort of uh, societally supported uh, platform, uh, there's a lot more pressure against the church. There's a lot more opposition against the church. There's a lot more criticism of the church. But I, I truly believe this, that, that Jesus promised when he said that he was going to build his church, when he said based on that declaration that Peter made, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, upon that declaration, that profession of faith in Jesus Christ, I'm going to build my church upon the foundation of the lives of, of those very people across all generations and in all places. Do you believe that, that Jesus is... Yeah, I believe Jesus is still building His church, and He, he wants to build His church here. And uh, there may not be a lot of extra peripheral people that are coming along that really aren't a part of the church, but I believe that the, the core of the church has emerged, that whether it's the societal pressure or the pandemic pressure or the, the, the cultural pressure, that, that the church has been going through a John 15 kind of pruning that is helping the true church, those who are truly the followers of Jesus Christ, to really emerge. And it's not for us to be proud about that or arrogant in any way because we know that that has no part in the church or in the body of Jesus Christ, no, no part at all about 
anything that Jesus does. Instead, we're supposed to be humble and poor in spirit and, and, and spiritually hungry for, for the things of God, that God desires these kinds of things for us, and, and that it's with those people that the mission of God abides, and it's with those people that there is a, a, a heart that God can, can use. And we've seen all throughout the stories of the Old Testament of the kinds of people that God could use, the kinds of families that God could use, the, the position that Israel and Jerusalem, when the people of God would take this humble, dependent posture upon God, that something wonderful and incredible could occur. And I really believe that there is, is a pent-up hope that is being built in church after church and Christian after Christian and in ministry after ministry where there is going to come a new flood of God's work uh, at some point in God's time and according to God's ways. There's going to be a new work because the Bible declares that. Behold, I am doing a new thing, a thing that if, if you were told it, you wouldn't even believe because it's, it's really too great for you. And uh, I believe those kinds of things can happen here at McDonough Road. But for those things to happen, the people of God have to understand what God is wanting to do. And, and they know, have to know how to join God in what He is doing. They, they have to set aside their agenda and set aside their plans. That may mean you have to set aside your plans and you have to surrender to that new thing that God is wanting to do. And the Bible tells us very clearly that God thinks in this kind of way and that the people of God, when they join God in how He is thinking and join God in where He is going and join God in what He is wanting to do, that, that really a church like you, a group of believers following Jesus Christ like you, can experience the breakthroughs, the, the next steps, the new opportunities, or as the church at Philadelphia was described, the open doors that have been placed before them that no one can shut. Do you believe God can open doors that no one can shut? He can open doors that nobody else can open. And that's the kind of thing that God desires to do. Uh, let me tell you a story as we get started here today. Have you ever heard of Crazy George? Crazy George Henderson was really a fixture of the Oakland A's in the 1980s, really the 1970s and 1980s. And Crazy George was kind of a um, an Einstein hairdo, Robin Williams kind of character that was hired by the Oakland A's organization as their chief cheerleader for the Oakland A's baseball team. And uh, he was the one that was kind of in charge of firing up the crowd. And so he's known to roam the stadium with a big drum on and his elaborate gear. And he would lead cheers for all of the people that were there at the baseball stadium. And as the Oakland A's were coming home in the World Series playing the, the powerful New York Yankees, uh, George envisioned something bigger, something bolder, something better that the people of Oakland, that, that the people who, who came to baseball games had never seen before. And so as he played it out in his mind, he envisioned leading a cheer for the entire stadium to participate in. For Usually it was just one section here and one section there, a group of people that he'd get the attention of, and they'd kind of have this little cheer going. But, but George envisioned the entire stadium, 50,000-plus people getting involved in one movement together. 
And that night, Crazy George was firing up the fans and trying to get the attention of two or three sections. And he banged on his drum to get the attention. He, he got the three sections' attention, and, and he started something where they would stand up, raise their hands, yell, and it would go from section to section. And he knew that the first time it, it would happen, that it would die quickly. And so he had a plan in his mind to kind of get one section going, another section going, another section going, and then it died after three sections. And then, then he came back and, and he got one section going, two sections going, three sections going, four sections going, five sections going, and when it died at the fifth section, all the people in the four, se four sections that had participated began to boo and began to cheer, come on, come on, be a part. And, and then they got four sections, five sections. He got 11 sections and it died. And all of a sudden, on the 11th section, 10 sections began to boo and the entire stadium's attention was focused upon what was going on. And then the magic happened. Section one started it and all the stadium's attention was captured. And it went around the stadium and around the stadium, and around the stadium. And the entire stadium was shaking and screaming and cheering and focused upon that moment to help the Oakland A's win the game. You know, it was so amazing that the man of steel, as he was known, Ricky Henderson, got out of the batter's box while that stadium was rocking and while the participants were all engaged and involved. And he started putting on, taking off, putting on, and fixing his baseball gloves for what seemed like an eternal two minutes of time while the stadium expressed its support and its joy, its enthusiasm, and its excitement about the Oakland A's. Now listen, that's a baseball game. Now we're all in on baseball. My, my son, I was just telling David, was up at the University of Virginia the other day pitching for the coaching staff there and they're coming down to watch him in a few weeks. And to us, we're, we're pretty crazy about baseball, right? Uh, we're a bit crazy about baseball here in Atlanta right now uh, because of the Atlanta Braves and the world championship that our team won, right? We're excited about that. Uh, two of the kids that, that pitch on that Atlanta Braves team grew up in my church, one in South Florida, one in North Carolina. And so we're just crazy. Luke Jackson grew up in our church, and it's just one of those things where we're all in on baseball. But can I tell you what's better than baseball? It's the eternal work of the living God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's so much more for us. There's so much more that awaits the work of God in this world as we put His glory on display. As a matter of fact, let, let me just turn your attention to a passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 3. Maybe just grab your Bible and we'll turn to four or five places. If you'll get your fingers nimble and be ready to turn with me, I want to show you a few things in God's Word because you see... God has given us everything that is needed and necessary for you and I to participate in the wave of God's work in the world during our lifetimes. As a matter of fact, the Bible assures us that God wants to do it. In Ephesians chapter 3, look at verse 20. Now this is written about the church. And remember, we're just grabbing a verse of Scripture somewhere, so, so the, the, the danger there is that we take it out of context. But remember, 
Ephesians 1, the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. God the Father's plan of salvation. Jesus accomplishes salvation. The Spirit of God is moving convictingly around the world and hearts and lives of people, convicting them and convincing them that Jesus Christ is Savior to the glory of God the Father. Chapter 2 tells us what that Christian should look like. You once were this, but now you're this, so live the way Jesus wants you to. Chapter 3 talks about what life in the church ought to look like. Chapter 4, he tells us what life on mission looks like. Chapter 5, he tells us what life in a physical family, a husband, a wife, and children, and generations of a family living life together looks like. And finally, he tells us in chapter 6 that there is a spiritual battle that you were born into and that you are living on a war footing whether you realized it or not. Now, that's the context of the book of Ephesians. John Calvin would call it the queen of the epistles. In other words, he thought it was the greatest of all the epistles. And here's what he says in the focused two verses about his plan and desire for his church. Ephesians 3.20. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, notice this phrase, to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You see, the Bible says that God is able to do more than we know to ask or imagine for Jesus' glory. And where's he doing that? A lot of people quote that for themselves. But it's not a personalized verse of Scripture. It's actually an ecclesiological verse of Scripture that is a promise focused upon the church where God says this, I can accomplish my work and my will in the church, through the church, for the glory of Jesus in his church in every generation if God's people will get on that agenda with me. You know, the interesting thing is, is when you look at the seven churches of Revelation, that you realize the first of the seven churches that Jesus had to revitalize was the church at Ephesus. Right? Jesus was the first church revitalizer. He comes back and he reappears to his church, visits seven of them, and shows us what recovering and renewing the mission looks like. As a matter of fact, there are 18 words to those seven churches that begin with the prefix R-E, re, or again. To the church at Ephesus, he said, remember. He said to repent, and he said to recover. You see, there are some things that need to happen again. And a part of what has to happen again is that the church has to understand what the purposes and what the plans of God really are. And today what I want to do is spend a few minutes with you looking at what God has given us as a church, what God has given you as a church to bring you together in unity and help you walk together towards what God desires for McDonough Road to be. Do you believe God has a future for McDonough Road? Do you believe God wants to put His glory on display in His church at McDonough Road? Do you believe God wants there to be unity within the body at McDonough Road? 
Yeah, the Bible says in this same passage that there are seven things that God has done to sew all of this up together. He has given us one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is Lord and Father over it all. Now here's the thing. For McDonough Road to be able to walk together in unity pursuing God's purposes for His glory... The Bible tells us that you have to have at least four things well understood and and focused upon together for God's glory to be present in His church and for your church to fulfill the purposes God has for it. At least four things. Because you have to know what you're supposed to do. You have to know why you're supposed to do it. You have to know how it's going to be done together within your church ministry. And you have to know where God is calling you to go. And if you don't know those things, or if you don't agree upon those things, you're going to be all over the place and you're going to miss God and you're not going to follow Jesus and you're not going to sense the Spirit's leadership. But when you're focused upon those four things, can I tell you, there is power and purpose in the church. Do you want to know what those things are? Let's look at what those things are. Number one, we need to know that God has given us His mission. Did you know that God has a mission? God's got a focus for us out there. Just turn over to probably the best known expression of that mission. We find it in Matthew chapter 28. We call it the Great Commission. And hopefully we visit this as a church ministry fairly often where the Bible says this in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Now that's a pretty incredible claim. Just think about the the lordship of Jesus that would, would give Jesus the right to say such a thing. All authority, not some authority, not partial authority, but all authority has been given to me. And therefore, I'm going to give you the command that I want you to follow. And what is that? He says it, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. Now, let's be honest. We, as Southern Baptists, have been really focused upon declaring the gospel But in the last 50 years or so, we have not done a great job on discipling the believers. As a matter of fact, one friend of mine calls it the great omission of the great commission when we get down to that teaching them everything I have commanded them. So we know all sorts of facts about Jesus Christ, but do we understand the heart of Jesus Christ? Do we just know what He has told us to do, or are we doing and practicing the loving kindness and the joy and the forgiving and the the sense of hope in the midst of desperation that that Jesus taught us about all throughout His life and ministry? Or, Or are we just philosophically understanding what Jesus has taught us? I think there's a whole lot of Christians that are just philosophically understood and they're not practicing the faith of what Jesus has taught us. Now here's what's the most amazing thing of all. Do you know that every one of the Gospels concludes with a great commission? We know the Matthew version. 
Matthew chapter 28 tells us the Great Commission. But did you also know that Mark 16 records the Great Commission? Verse 15 and 16. Luke chapter 22, verses 44 through 49, records the Great Commission. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23, records the Great Commission. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 reminds us that the church, when they started writing their history, knew what their purpose was and remembered, hey, the purpose of the church is not a political movement. As a matter of fact, do you know what the disciples said in Acts 1-8? In Acts 1-8, they ask the question, are you going to restore the kingdom of heaven at this, at this moment? And do you know what they were asking? Is Jesus' movement a political movement that's going to free us from Rome and establish an earthly kingdom? Do you know it is so easy for the human being in our makeup, socially, relationally, and desiring for purpose and power for ourselves to think that, hey, God's work and God's plan is primarily a political movement. It's not. The disciples made that mistake even after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say? It's not for you to know the times of the seasons for the Lord's return, for the, for the political kingdom, for the powerful kingdom to be set up. Your purpose right now is to go and make disciples and to teach people how I have taught you to follow after me. That's what the purpose is. See, the mission of Jesus Christ is to make disciples. And whenever we forget that, we will lose our way. Because the Lord will not bless us baptizing our purposes in His name. The Lord requires it to be His purposes baptized with our commitment to faith and obedience. And the minute you forget that it's faith and obedience to Jesus Christ, you have lost your way spiritually. Jesus came preaching, Mark 1.15 says, the kingdom of God, and He said to repent and believe. That was His message. And that continues to be the message today during this season of the church's age. And the church cannot forget what its purpose is. The first thing that we have to remember if we want the glory of God to be in our church is that the purpose of God is to make disciples as we live on His mission. Here's the second thing. The Lord has taught us what to value. Turn over to Acts chapter 2. You know, the book of Acts is so foundational for us when it comes to understanding how the church is supposed to operate. And in the book of Acts, there are seven occasions where uh, the gospel writer Luke, who's now recording the church history, summarizes what God is doing in His church. There's seven summary statements in the book of Acts. And, and those summary statements teach us about what the collective heart of the church was about. And that's a really important concept, right? It's a really important concept for the church to understand the collective heart of the church. Most churches I know, I'm sure your church is not like this, but most churches I know look at whoever the person is standing on this platform and, and there's a whole group of people out there in front and they, they, they look at the person on this platform who's a little raised up, who's a little set apart, and, and they go, that represents the church. But that's not the case. 
Our study over the last 17 years has definitively concluded that it doesn't matter so much how this person leads or where this person leads, it matters a whole lot more what the collective culture of the congregation is, and that's going to determine where the future of the church can and will go. Here's what's hard about it, though. It's hard for everybody in the church to see not only themselves, but to see and understand everyone else in the congregation as well. But we call this culture. They say it's the culture of an organization. It's the culture of a school. It's the the culture of a workplace. It's the culture of a business. It's the culture of the country. But but it's hard to put our finger on it. It's kind of like the air we breathe in a room. We walked in the room, and unless you're on oxygen today, you probably weren't very cognizant of whether or not there was air in the room. And the culture of the church is a lot like that. It's who we are. It's the way we do things. It's our attitudes. It's our beliefs. It's our behaviors. It's our customs. And it's just who we are. And most of the time, it goes completely unnoticed. Now, if you were to leave this church and go to another church, if you were to come over to where I'm the transitional pastor at Palmetto Baptist Church and you walked into the church there, you would notice everything about that culture. Hey, why, why do they do that this way? Why do they do it that way? Why do they talk that way? Why do they have somebody come up at that moment and do that activity within the church? You'd notice everything about it. But when you're living in your own culture, you don't notice it anymore. Probably not even aware of it. But Jesus had Luke be aware of it. Notice what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. And everyone kept sensing a feel of awe and wonder. And many signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions, and they were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the first time that a summary statement of the early church's activities or their culture was being identified. And what was it that that is captured by way of the values that they had as a church ministry? You can just look down through here with me and just notice in verse 42, it was the apostles' teaching. And and it was fellowship. And, And it was having a sense of praise and awe and wonder of the power of God. And there was stewardship. They were selling their possessions. And it was ministry as they were doing ministry, person to person, family to family. It was worship and prayer and praise. It was evangelism as the passage concludes. I mean, it's very clear. And if you look at the seven summary statements, you'll see it is very, very clear that the early church not only understood what their mission was, but they understood what motivated them. They had their values very clear and they were shared together. You know, having a sense of shared values as a church ministry is a really, really important thing. And knowing why you do what you do 
is a really important thing. You know, go back to that church in, in Ephesus. You, you know what Jesus said about them? He said, you've lost your first love. Do you remember that phrase from the Bible? Maybe studying it before, reading it before. You, you've lost your first love. You know, there's a whole lot of churches that do what they do, but they don't know why they do what they do. Can I tell you one of the most important things about your Christian faith is not just knowing what to do, but knowing why you do it. And if you've forgotten why you do it, if you've forgotten why you sing songs in praise, let me remind you, it's because the great God of the universe, the God of glory and the God of grace died upon Calvary's cross and rose again to give you victory over sin and death. And therefore, He deserves our glory, our honor, and our praise. Amen? Amen. And listen, if you forget that, you know what happens? You come in here and you just sing a song. You don't worship the living God. Right? When you study the Bible, when you open the Bible, if you say, okay, well, this, this teaches us all of our liturgy and gives us all of our instruction, and intellectually you agree to everything that's there, yeah, this is what a Christian believes, but you walk out on the street and you don't do what it says, you have forgotten. And can I tell you what happens? You have left your first love. You see, this happens to God's people all throughout the Bible. These people's mouth says one thing, but their heart is far from me. There are five generations that that declaration is made about in the Bible. And God help us never let it be said about this generation and this moment and this time. But unfortunately, the reason why churches are floundering is they've lost the mission and they've left behind the values. Now, let's look at a couple of other things before my time gets away here today. What's the third thing? Well, I'm glad you asked. The church has to have a clear strategy, a clear plan. Because the Bible teaches us, number three, that God has been clear about His strategy. Now, just look in the Gospel of John with me for a few minutes. Go to John chapter 1. In John chapter 1 we see exactly what the strategy is supposed to be. Did you know that Jesus was intentionally strategic about how to make disciples? Now, we, we shouldn't be surprised by that. It's just so that we've lost such a, a, a clarity about what Jesus actually did during his three years on earth. I mean, a, a lot of times what happens is, is we see the mountaintop experiences of Jesus all the way to Calvary and the ultimate mountaintop experience in the resurrection from the dead, and we forget what Jesus did with 98% of his time while he was doing the three years of his ministry. Anybody want to venture a guess as to what he was doing? The Bible says he was discipling 12 men that he would entrust the keys of the kingdom to. That's what he's doing. He spent all of his time, all of his passion, all of his effort, all of his energy discipling 12 men. Now here's the question. Did he have a repeatable pattern and plan that the church can follow? And the answer to that is yes, he did. Notice what it says. Just, just look with me through the Gospel of John at four different stops we'll make. Let's stop first in John chapter 1 and verse 39. 
He said to them, Come, and you will see. Do you know how often Jesus said that? Come and see? Countless number of times. He said, come and see. Come and see. Come and see. Come and see. How many times do Christians today say that? I don't know. I don't think it's nearly as many as we should. And then when we say come and see, you know what we oftentimes invite them to, to our gatherings. We say, come and see at the church. Come and see at the church. But, but we don't say, hey, come, come with me as I go and do ministry. Come with me as I share the gospel. Come and meet with me as I do the work of caring for the poor, or helping the sick, or whatever it may be. I've got a friend that says he made that mistake for far too long. 50 years of ministry, one of the most famous ministers in America today. And, and he said, I used to tell people just to come and see. Come and see me preach. Come and hear me speak. Come and watch me teach. Until I realized that the most powerful thing that I could invite somebody to do was to come and watch me live. And that when I would live the life that Jesus wanted me to live, that it was the most compelling witness they could ever watch. But not only did Jesus say, come and see, notice what he would say. Look at verse 43, just a little further down. The next day, he purposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, follow me. So the come and see eventually led to an invitation. Hey, will you follow me? You know, it goes even deeper, and for the sake of time, just speed along over to, Acts, or to John chapter 15, and notice what he says in John chapter 15 and verse 4. He takes another step. Come and see. Follow me. John 15 verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless... You abide in me. And then step number four. Go to the end of John's gospel. Go to the final page of the story. John's gospel, chapter 21. The great commission in the gospel of John. John's gospel, it's actually at the end of John 20. Jesus said to them, because you have seen me and believe, blessed are they who did not see and yet believe. With many other signs in the presence of the disciples, he gave them this charge, which is to go and tell. Now just think about that for a minute. Step one, come and see. Step two, follow me. Step three, abide in me. Step four, go and tell. And notice what step four does. When, when you go and tell, guess what more people come to do? They come and what? Help me out. It's not hard. Come and see, follow me, abide in me, go and tell. When they go and tell, what do new people come and do? Come and see. And can I tell you something? For more than 2,000 years, that process has been repeating itself. And yet most churches, when it, they are asked, how are we discipling people? They they don't know. Or, or they talk about some program. They don't talk about this 
clear process of saying, hey, this is what we're asking you as a follower of Jesus to do. Go with me to the final step. Here's the final step. Jesus was very clear about God's vision that He had given. He's very clear. We just go to Revelation chapter 7 for a moment. This is one of those passages that probably ought to be highlighted in all of our Bibles. In Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9, the Bible tells us that God has made known His vision. Here's what he said, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. Now hang on. This, if, if nothing else has made you shout, this should. And if this doesn't make you shout, then you're probably not a follower of Jesus Christ because God's ultimate ambition and goal is not an ultimate ambition and goal that you're sharing. Because here's what it's all about. This is what it's all about. And after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands, and they were crying out in a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen, and blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to God forever and ever. Amen. 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 You see, if, if that doesn't crank your engine, then you're probably not headed to that place. But that's where everybody who follows Jesus is headed. To the throne room of God for eternal and joyful worship where we live forever in His presence with hope and peace and joy. And listen, when you share that and you know that's the vision that God had, it wasn't enough for God to have followers. He wanted a family. And the Bible says that He sent Himself, He sent His Son to die on the cross, to rise again, to give us the hope of eternal glory. And that's what we're going to share in. And that's the vision that God says He has. Now look, go back with me. A mission to make disciples. Values to keep our heart engaged. A strategy so that we never forget how we're doing what we've been called to do and a vision in what we share. That's what the Lord really wants. Now, for those of you who need to fill in all your blanks today on your page, I get that. So get down to your application. Let me help you fill them in. Stop making excuses and start maturing as a disciple. Just look at every excuse that every disciple gave Jesus and look at His response in Scripture. Peter made all the excuses in the world. Thomas made all the excuses in the world. Bartholomew, all the excuses. And, and what did he say every time? Stop. Just stop. Don't you understand? You who are so hard-hearted. So stop making excuses and start being a disciple. Number two, stop measuring yourself 
by others and start measuring yourself by Christ's likeness. See, somebody else isn't the standard. I'm not the standard. Jesus is the standard. Start bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And finally, number three, stop disengaging with the church and with other Christians and start engaging with your church on the mission of Jesus Christ. Just just stop with all the disengagement, all the reasons why. Well, it's COVID. You know, all that's done is it's pushed us out the doors and made us do it face-to-face when we wouldn't do it face-to-face before. We depended on our programs, but now we're dependent upon our people. And so people to people, we get to live our lives like Jesus commanded us. Have you ever heard the name Ignaz Samovice? Probably not. Most people have never heard his name, but his story is one of the greatest stories ever told. He was a 19th century Austrian physician who was practicing his medical profession in a hospital where the infant mortality rate was about three times the other hospitals in his region of the world. And he couldn't figure out why, but he was determined to figure out why the bed fever, as they called it, was taking so many of the infants' lives who were born in their hospital. Interestingly... He put together that they not only were the maternity ward, but they were the regional location for the morgue for a large portion of their country. And what he found was that they would go over and work on cadavers and try to figure out medical issues and why people died and do all sorts of autopsies, etc., And then when a mother would go into labor, they'd run across the hall and they'd go deliver that baby. And Ignaz Samovice concluded that they were carrying germs across the hall with them on their hands and they were giving to the infants the disease that somebody else had died from. Hundreds of lives, thousands of children dying. Long before Louis Pasteur came up with the germ theory, his suggestion was to create a chlorine uh, bleach type substance and to dip your hands in it before going and delivering the children. The infant mortality rate went down. He started to talk about and promote his theory and he was ostracized fired from his hospital, placed in prison, declared insane, and eventually died of a beating at the hands of the guards. All because he wanted to dip his hands in bleach to save somebody's life. Can I tell you, that's what they did to Jesus too, wasn't it? He came to save us from our sins. And yet they wouldn't believe Him. Can I tell you the saddest thing of all? Is that there will be people in the church that when the church says, hey, we've got to be focused on God's mission, we've got to keep our heart engaged through God's values, 
We've got to know how we're discipling people together. And we've got to share in this vision of helping people be a part of God's family. They'll be like the people that persecuted Samuel because it cuts against their self-righteous, legalistic philosophy of how to do church. Can I tell you something? Don't be that person. Don't be that person. God has His mission. Today the question is, will we join it? Let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes this morning. Pastor asked me to close our service together today, and he's going to come up and lead us in just a moment. But I know in the days of COVID, we're not doing a traditional invitation, but I believe God's invitation is open. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if there's just one truth that the Spirit's spoken to you today, would you just raise your hand? Just one truth, maybe. Thank you. I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit sinks that deep into your heart. And I'm going to pray that as a congregation that you really are clear on God's mission, God's values, God's strategy for making disciples, and God's ultimate vision for where we're all headed and what this is all about. And if there's something in your life, if you need to follow Jesus or join the church or obey Him in baptism or get on board and serve or invite your next door neighbor or something specific like uh, giving a, a resource like they did in the early church to be able to help the ministry. Whatever it is that the Holy Spirit has the power to uniquely communicate to you, I pray that He'd do it today and that you would respond and say yes. Our Father in Heaven, You've spoken to us through Your Word today. It's powerful. It's encouraging. It focuses us, Lord, as a ministry together with razor-sharp focus upon what You want. And so, God, as a ministry, bless this church, encourage this church, unify this church, work through this church. Help the staff and the leadership and the teachers. Help us in our stewardship. Help us in our prayer life. Help us with our hearts, God, the hardest thing of all to be fully and faithfully focused upon what your call is for our lives. Lord, for the spiritual decisions that are being made that have been made, we pray, we pray, God, that your Spirit would seal those and bring those to their ultimate conclusions in your time and your way. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And the church said, Amen. 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 Pastor David, come on up and share with us. Thank you, Rob, so, so very much. I hope that you did make a decision for the Lord today. If you're online with us and uh, want to reach out to us about a spiritual matter, about a spiritual decision, about uh, if you're ready to receive Christ, we can help you with that, or uh, you're interested in joining our church and you have questions, just uh, please email us at this address on the screen. And we'll look forward to hearing from you and getting back with you and helping you any way that we can. All week long, you are faithful to give. And we are so thankful for what God is doing in, a, in, in the area of stewardship in the life of our church. If you're here today and uh, for the first time and, and want to give to the Lord, uh, we have drop boxes on the back walls on each door. And uh, one of our deacons is going to come and, and uh, lead us in prayer and ask God's blessing upon the, uh, the, this part of our worship experience, the privilege that we have to give back to God part of what He's blessed us with. Because every good and perfect bit, gift comes from the Lord, doesn't it? Everything that we have is God's, and He's entrusted it to us to use for His glory. Thank you. As you join me in prayer, remember what Rob said in his sermon about our hearts. 
and give from your heart. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just praise you, God, for being God. We don't really understand everything that means, God, but we praise you for being the God above everything. And Father, we just lift up to you this day. We pray, God, that we give with a pure heart, with a loving heart, and we do it in your spirit and not ours. In Jesus' name, amen.